This podcast is brought to you by Trend. Trend is a micro-influencer marketing platform that helps connect brands with influencers. Learn more, join our network, or start an influencer campaign at trend.io. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the DTC pod. I'm your host, Jay. And today we have a special guest with us, Mesa Chehada, who is the founder of Behave. And Behave is a brand that sells low sugar candy. Super excited to have Mesa on the podcast today. We're going to be talking a little bit about Behave and how to create a brand that's a disruptor. You should definitely check out Behave's website when you get a chance. We'll have a link in the show notes as well, but they have a really cool website and they're doing a lot of stuff that I would consider being a disruptor in the space. But before I just keep talking away, let's go ahead and pass the mic over to Mesa. Mesa, welcome to the show. If you want to kind of give the audience a little intro about yourself and a little bit more about Behave in your own words. Yeah. Hi, Jay. Thank you so much for having me. I think you put it pretty well. Behave is a low sugar, clean label candy brand. And we very much are thinking about ourselves as disruptors in the candy category. So I think candy has been a relatively stagnant category that hasn't seen a lot of innovation and disruption really in the last decades, if not centuries. And we just saw an opportunity to do something different, to bring a product that tastes delicious, but is more sort of on trend with the way people eat today, right? Reducing sugar, being more cognizant of the type of ingredients that we're putting in our bodies, moving away from artificial ingredients. And then from a brand perspective, also wanting to be disruptive on that front as well. And say something a little bit different. I think our brand is quite in your face. And we really are thinking about, yeah, just coming into the space with a brand that is a bit different from everything else that's out there. So that's kind of what we're doing. We just launched this past August. So we're still pretty new in the market, but we're really excited about the traction and the excitement that we've seen from customers so far and everything that we have ahead. That's awesome. So I know you used to do a lot of stuff before Behave. So like, how did you kind of get here? Like, what were you doing before Behave? And how did you end up in kind of like the CPG space here? Yeah, absolutely. So my background was really in sort of brand marketing, partnerships, business development, um, always really in that sort of partnerships realm. But I I always really was approaching it from a, a brand first lens. I've always worked at consumer-focused companies. So I started my career at the, the NFL, at the National Football League. From there, I joined Uber. I worked in brand partnerships and business development at Uber. And then after Uber, I joined Daily Harvest. That was sort of my first entry into the CPG world, the food world, the health and wellness space as well. Uh, and you know that was a really, really exciting company. I joined Daily Harvest when we were still pretty small, probably 12, 13 person team at the time, just closing out the Series A. And by the time I left, I mean, the company had grown to almost 100 people. We'd raised another round of funding um, and, and that business had really boomed. So that was really cool to sort of have a front row seat in the growth of Daily Harvest, which now is borderline uh, a household name and has just become such a massive business. After Daily Harvest, I joined SoulCycle, so kind of stayed in in the wellness space more broadly, going into the fitness side of things, and I led a business development team and a partnerships team at SoulCycle. So yeah, I've kind of hopped around, but worked at a number of different brands. I've been really lucky to work at really world-class brands and companies that 
care so much about brand. And I think that has really informed everything that um, I sort of bring as a founder uh, to behave. And, and again, sort of the approach that we are, are trying to bring to the category and just to everything that we do. In terms of how I ended up in CPG, so I would say the kind of initial idea for Behave came while I was at Daily Harvest. So I was sort of in the food space, in this kind of health food world, really witnessing firsthand how much consumer behavior was shifting towards these healthier products, better for you, whole natural ingredients, people really moving away from eating processed artificial junk. But the reality was that me personally, I love that processed artificial junk. I'm like a huge junk food eater. I have been a huge candy lover my whole life. And so was kind of like working at this company that was so health focused, but still catching myself having a lot of those bad habits that I had just built up over my entire life, really. And I was trying to become more health conscious myself. I really had to kind of take a look at what I was eating and, and just really started thinking, all right, how do I clean up my diet a little bit? How do I how do I start really replacing the foods that frankly make me feel like crap with foods that I feel good after I eat? I was really able to find a lot of great alternatives, whether it was Banza chickpea pasta, which is gluten-free, or Halo Top ice cream, which is like a low sugar, one of the earliest low sugar ice cream brands that hit the market. And I really was finding a lot of great options and really got kind of curious about this health food and health, like better for you snack space. And the one space where I just couldn't find anything was candy. I kind of searched high and low as a consumer, like again, not really thinking about this as a business at the time. I was also dating someone at the time who was keto. So we really had our eyes peeled for these types of products. And I just really came up empty and couldn't find anything. I mean, essentially, I just really realized what I said earlier, just that the candy category had really seen little to no transformation since I was a kid, which was in the 90s and the early 2000s. So, you know, that was really eye opening, I think. And that was sort of the first seed of the idea. Like I said, early kind of thought, yeah, the seed was kind of planted while I was at Daily Harvest. I ended up leaving and taking the role at Soul Cycle. But the idea really stuck with me. Just every time I was in a store, at a movie theater, at an airport, I would check the candy aisle, wondering if something new was going to come out, if somebody was going to start innovating in the space, either startups or the existing big incumbent players. And probably a year, year and a half passed after that initial thought around candy. And I wasn't seeing anything. And that was really when I started to ask myself, okay, what would it look like to maybe think about this as a business? You know, what starting to dig in a little bit into the market, doing some market research, and then ultimately really feeling like there were some legs behind the idea. And then starting to think about how would we actually develop the product? So that was sort of the journey from idea to, okay, how would we actually make this and, and where do we go from here? That's really awesome. I'm always very curious and just to learn how founders kind of got their start, especially for first time founders in the CPG space. It's always interesting to see where their background is and like, what was that idea that helped you push forward and eventually create your product? And I know one thing that was interesting that we haven't even covered yet. I saw on your LinkedIn profile that you are listed as a founder since like 2019. So this is something that was super interesting to me. You guys just launched recently back in August now. And so you've been working on this product since 2019. What have you been working on since then? And like, how was that whole like founding process? Like, what did you have to do to be able to to launch 
your product out in the market? And what have you kind of been working on then developing there in the background before launch? Yeah, absolutely. So I left my full-time job in the fall of last year, fall of 2019, and start and focused in full-time on Behave. And it's really just been getting everything in place to, to launch essentially since then. I thought that we would be launching in the spring of this year. We were delayed. I'm sure many startups and many people have been due to COVID. Um, so our production was delayed by a couple of months. And that's ultimately what sort of shifted our timeline from a spring 2020 launch to really the end of summer. But, you know, in terms of what really goes into it, so like I said, I ruminate on the idea for really like a couple years, actually. And then I kind of asked myself, okay, if I was actually going to pursue this, what would I do? So probably towards the beginning of last year, or the beginning of 2019, I reached out to a celebrity chef named Elizabeth Faulkner. I told her what I wanted to create, this idea around low sugar candy, but not using kind of artificial fake sweeteners and sugar alcohols, but actually using natural sweeteners and natural ingredients. And she was just super excited by the concept. And so we teamed up. I was still full-time in my role, but she really got to work on that initial product and the initial recipe for the gummies. And we were just kind of, yeah, working together on the side. You know, she she's super busy. She does a ton of things. And, and we both were kind of just finding time for this where we could. And then ultimately, when I felt that we had gotten the product to a point where all right, we have a really solid recipe. We're hitting those nutrition facts that I'm looking for. I want it to be under three grams of sugar per bag. I want it to be under 100 calories per bag. So there's a couple things that were important to me from a nutrition perspective. And from obviously, as I mentioned, from an ingredient perspective, we kind of checked all those boxes. The product tasted amazing. And then there were a few other things that I had lined up, again, kind of on the side, like finding a manufacturer, interviewing a bunch of branding agencies, figuring out, okay, how are we going to build the brand? What kind of partner are we going to work with to develop the brand? And yeah, I just kind of laid some of those pieces into place. And then that sort of gave me the confidence to say, all right, let me go and take the leap here and let me go into this and work on this full time. Yeah, that's awesome. So you said you left your job back in 2019 at the end of 2019. For a lot of founders out there, one of the things is like you want to get your product out, obviously, as soon as possible. So that way you can start generating revenue for your product. How did you deal with the challenge of having almost a full year between when you left your job and launching the product? Like, how did you manage in terms of did you receive funding for the company? Did you put in your own funds? Like, how did you have that process and be able to carry it through and still push forward despite that kind of like gap between your product launch versus when you left your last job? Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of funding, so like I said, I was sort of building a bit on the side while I was still in my full-time role. So I was really using essentially my salary and whatever I could hold um, from my salary to bootstrap the business in the beginning. So for most of last year, and then I left to focus on this full time, I did fundraise, I raised sort of a pre-seed angel round, if you want to call it that, just right after leaving my full time role. So we are a funded business. And that obviously kind of allows us to build the way that we want to build and, and it does allow us to absorb risk like 
our launch being delayed by three months, which is definitely a blessing and, and definitely something that I'm, I'm super grateful for. But I, what I will also say is that I kept things extremely lean. I didn't hire anybody until we were basically right up against launch. And then we brought on our first teammate. So in that down period where we sort of had that two, three month gap from when we thought we would launch until we were actually able to launch, we were pretty good about conserving our burn and, and conserving our burn rate and our cash and just making sure that we were really focused on yeah keeping expenses to a minimum and just being super lean and being really cost efficient everywhere that we could. That's awesome. That's really interesting. And so, you know, you mentioned you did receive some investment and I've also seen your brand has generated tons of press. I mean, I just searched up Behave Candy, I think last week when I was preparing the questions and topics we were going to talk about. And the first three or four Google like search results were just about your brand, which I think is pretty crazy. And it was a bunch of different websites. And so part of being a disruptor is obviously having your brand out there for the world to be able to see, right? You could be the most disruptive brand, but it doesn't always work in terms of how much coverage you receive and like the revenue that's generated if you're not able to get out in front of your audience and present your brand, even if your brand is disruptive. So how much of a role do you think that being able to get investors to buy in, being able to generate press coverage played in your role of becoming disruptor that Behave has become? You know, it's such a good question. I think it's something that just can help kind of pour fuel on the fire. But at the end of the day, the most important thing is having an amazing brand and an amazing product, right? That I think press and, you know, everything around that can help and it it can definitely put things into overdrive. And and obviously, you know, it, it helps drive traffic to the website. It helps drive eyeballs, brand awareness, all of those things. It helps you storytell, explain more about where your brand comes from and what you're doing. But at the end of the day, I do think that good product speaks for itself. That's something that I really love about the food and the CPG world is that the best products rise to the top. It's not necessarily just if you can have the biggest PR team and you know the most PR coverage and be the coolest brand that is going to drive success, which, you know, maybe that's a little bit more true in the fashion industry or in electronics, or I don't know, in some other spaces where that may be more true. I think in in food and beverage, you know, you kind of live and die by your product, but that's not to deny the fact that obviously being able to drive press, being able to have influencers that are interested in your product. The beauty of candy is that we have influencers reaching out to us every day, actually kind of cold outreach saying, hey, I'm a candy lover and I'm always looking for something better. So we're not actually really paying influencers. We're kind of having that coming in inbound. And there's a huge benefit to that. And that really does help us reach a much broader audience. And it's helped us, like I said, it's kind of poured that fuel on the fire where maybe what would have taken six months to do, we've been able to accomplish in just a a year or two years. We've been able to accomplish in just a few short months. So yeah, I I think that that has definitely helped. And so for one, it's just kind of general brand awareness and eyeballs. I think the other great thing with press is being able to really tell her story, right? We are trying to uh, approach Candy with a really, really different perspective. I think that's what drew a lot of writers and a lot of press to our story. And that got people kind of excited to write about us when we launched, you know, a couple stories that have gone out since. But that really allows us to give more context to consumers and to people that are reading those publications about 
why we exist, why we think that behavior should exist and what we're kind of trying to say with, with our brand. That's awesome. That's really interesting. And so you mentioned one of the things that I thought was really interesting was that the product is kind of the main factor of being a disruptor in the space. And you kind of said, you know, press is important, but the product is like the main thing. Are there any other things that you can think of that are really important? Like if you just had to like quickly like run them off and name them off that are important in terms of like creating a brand that's disruptive, like you've got the product, what else do you need? Like community, brand, website, what are some of those other things that you think are really key to being able to create a disruptive product in the space? Yeah, you know, I think more at like the high level, I would say product number one, brand number two, definitely, and community, as you mentioned, that would definitely be on the list as well. Tech is important. I would say the CPG space, it really depends on your strategy and your approach. Are you going 100% direct to consumer? Then yes, you absolutely need fully optimized website. You need to be analyzing data on an ongoing basis, optimizing the site on an ongoing basis. You're probably doing some growth and performance marketing as well. So you definitely want to make sure that you are kind of monitoring that and, and that you understand how that world sort of works and that it's driving your business and it's kind of viable for your business. If you're going wholesale, you know, maybe the tech doesn't matter as much or as a lot of brands that we see nowadays, including our own, are probably going to end up somewhere in, in the omni-channel space. So some BSC, some some retail. And so, yeah, I think that those are really the main ones. You know, brand is so important and that is one that we really invest a lot of time and thought into. And I would say brand and community really go hand in hand, right? The brand is really who we are, right? Essentially, what the way I think about it is brand is like a universe that we create we have created a, a behave universe and we want to make sure that we are creating a universe that a lot of people want to come and be a part of. And that's the community, right? So they kind of like feed one another and, you know, our brand is expressed on our website and our logo, on our packaging, on our social media and every single piece of content that we create in the experience that a customer has when they receive a box and they open it and there's a, a fun card in there and there's what the packaging looks like and what the experience of opening it is. So this is all sort of like, again, the universe that we're creating and let's make sure that we're really creating a universe that people are drawn to and that people are not only excited to come into, but then they want to like get all their friends and be like, hey, come hang out in this universe because it's dope. And so I would say that that is really, really important to us. That's where we're investing a lot of time and energy right now. And a big piece of that is packaging. And I would say, yeah, packaging is a little more obviously sort of like a, a tactical piece, if you will. But obviously in food and in CPG, especially if you're going to end up in retail and having that more omni-channel approach, I think the packaging is really important. And it's something that we spent a ton of time with our brand agency partner that we built the Behave brand with to really develop something that we feel is going to stand out. You know, like I said, we feel that our products are extremely differentiated within the candy category, right? Our products have three grams of sugar per bag, 90 calories per bag, and a clean label, no artificial ingredients. So we're doing things very, very different from all the other candy in the aisle. But then from a packaging perspective too, how do we look different? How do we stand out on that shelf? How do we draw somebody's eye towards us? And so that that's another piece I think that is one that cannot be overlooked in the food and the CPG world. So I want to talk a little bit about your community piece, actually, because I thought that was unique in terms of 
the approach that you're taking. Obviously, a lot of other brands do a lot of community building, but it's usually unique for every single brand. What are some of the proactive things that you guys are doing there in terms of helping to not only just build, but also support that community? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we are really right now engaging with our community primarily on social media, I would say, as well as through our customer service channel. It's something that we're doing every minute of every day, essentially, right? We, we're in a back and forth conversation with our customers through Instagram, through Facebook, through our high at eatbehave.com email address. And people are reaching out to us, right? Asking questions and everything we do, every response that we have to a customer, every Instagram post, every sort of piece of communication that we have between our brand and the customer is sort of carefully thought out and is a reflection of our brand and of, of our brand voice. So we think about that a lot. And then, you know, through social media, we really are listening to our community. We really are taking time to understand what they want. We've already taken in feedback about our brand, about the product, about the flavors. We're constantly listening. That's the beauty of the D2C model, right? Is that if you put your product on the shelf in a store, you may never hear what someone's experience with that product was. But in the D2C channel, we are getting that feedback really in real time and we can incorporate people's feedback into everything that we're doing. So we're, you know, we're doing that through content. We're constantly trying to refresh our content, put things out that get people excited about the Behave brand. We're really cognizant of creating content and creating, again, our community and our universe that feels very inclusive, that feels very diverse, that speaks to a really broad audience that doesn't just represent one type of person. And actually, that's something that we spend a lot of time thinking about because as much as we are a health, we're sort of in this health food category in a way because we're a low sugar candy, we don't ever want to see ourselves or be viewed as a diet product or as a diet brand. So we actually do a lot and we think a lot about how do we make sure consumers and our community know that we are a brand about eating more candy, not about eating less candy. And we're a brand that's all about just kind of more and being able to live in excess and being able to live sort of freely and authentically and not be bogged down by the guilt and the shame and the stress and the anxiety that can come with eating unhealthily and eating artificial ingredients and eating too much sugar. And so, yeah, we really do a lot, I think, through our content and through our community building to communicate that message. And then the other piece, I think, around our community that, frankly, it's still kind of new just because we're still pretty newly launched, but we do have um, a charitable giving initiative where we donate 1% of total online sales to different charity organizations that we partner with on a rotating basis. So we um, every we don't have an exact cadence, but anywhere from one to three months, we choose a charity partner that we donate that 1% to. And as we grow and as we kind of develop our community, that is going to be a conversation with our community as well, where we actually are prompting our community to tell us um, what organizations do you guys love? What organizations do you guys want to see us supporting? And that was actually the reason that we built this program this way. Instead of aligning ourselves with one organization for the lifetime of the business, this is really going to allow us to interact with our community in a very unique way and allow them to have a voice in what we are doing from sort of a charitable giving and a give back 
perspective. So we donated our first month, our 1% for the first month to Equal Justice Initiative, which focused on sort of legal representation and prison reform for underrepresented communities. And then we donated 1% of sales after the first month through the election to vote.org, which is a voter registration. And we very much heard from our community how important the election was to them, how important it was to see their peers and to see young people get out and vote. So that was sort of how we selected that second organization. And then now for our third organization, we will be prompting our community and we will be kind of opening that up to them. So that's another way where we really are thinking about, okay, let's get our community involved. And we're constantly looking for more ways to do that. And that's awesome. I love how focused you are and dialed into your community. You are there. So you're doing a lot of stuff with the community now that the product has launched and that's continuing to grow. But I want to kind of circle back to the actual brand itself, Behave. And I think something that's really interesting is, you know, even if you go on just the website, eatbehave.com, everything from your website to social media to the product is just very different than what's out there in the market. And so I want to ask you, how did you develop that brand personality that you guys have created there? Because obviously, you know, now you're getting product feedback, but that customer feedback channel wasn't really probably there at the beginning when you started. So how did you really build that brand personality into Behave? Yeah. So, you know, I want to first and foremost, just shout out our brand agency partners, Gander. They are Brooklyn-based design studio, and they are just a world-class design studio. You know, they've been working in the food and beverage space for a number of years now. They've worked on some of the brands that you would know and love. They really, really just know what they're doing. And I was very lucky that, you know, they took our project on and that we were able to work together here. And so I would say that that I really feel so much gratitude towards them and the partnership that we kind of built in figuring out how we wanted this all to come to life. And then I think from there, you know, I definitely had a vision. I think um, the team at Gander also brought a lot of perspective. And we were really aligned around this idea that we don't want, like, I think two things. One is is what I mentioned before. We don't want to come off like a diet product or a health product, right? We're not going to use those muted color palettes, those pastels, what I would sort of maybe call like the goop aesthetic. We knew that that wasn't the direction that we wanted to go in. Nothing against that. It's beautiful and it works really well. It's just sort of a different type of messaging than what we wanted to go for. We wanted to be a little more bold and in your face with what we were saying. And then the second piece is what you just said, Jay, which is we don't want to look like everything else in the candy aisle. We want to be really different and really disruptive just relative to everything else within candy. And so I think one sort of strategy that really informed that was a lot of candy is really marketed and geared towards children. Actually, like almost all candy with the exception really of sort of like high-end artisanal chocolate, you know, Sugarfina maybe is the exception to the rule. Sugarfina is like a very high-end luxury candy brand that comes in these like beautiful plastic boxes. But outside of that, if you're walking down the grocery aisle, if you're sort of in that checkout aisle, the brands are really, really targeted and geared towards children. And we knew that we wanted to speak to an adult consumer, right? I think the idea around reducing sugar and the idea around wanting to be a little more health conscious or maybe rethinking how you're eating candy is something that's emerging as you kind of get into adulthood or maybe as you have children and you see how much like candy is being put in front of your kids and and you kind of want to rethink it. So we knew we wanted to talk to that adult consumer that, that definitely informed a lot of our approach and how we built the brand. 
And then again, like sort of just my vision for the brand combined with the Gander and their team's vision for the brand. I think we were just really aligned. And we want to bring this attitude. We want to bring this kind of spunky character to behave. We want to almost be this like middle finger to the man type message because Again, ultimately, what we're trying to say is not that people should eat less sugar, that they should feel badly if they eat sugar, or that sugar is the devil, right? What we're trying to say is that as you get older, like a lot of things that used to be fun aren't fun anymore. Like we have all this responsibility. Now we have to eat healthy. Our bodies start changing, right? Like that was the experience for me was that just as I got older, like if I ate a full bag of candy, I just felt terribly like I had a stomach ache. I had a headache. I needed to drink like seven gallons of water to wash out just like the headache that I would get from the sugar. And then you're getting all these messages from marketing, from the media, from, I don't know, maybe your mom or your sister, whoever it is being like, don't do this. Don't do that. You need to eat this way. You need to work out this way. You need to be this size and you need to wear this and you need to have that. And you get all these messages that are feel so like authoritarian. And our whole thing was like middle finger to that. Screw that. Like, remember what it felt like to be a kid and just down bags and bags of candy and not care what anyone thought or not care what you looked like or not have to worry about sort of the quote unquote consequences of that. And we really leaned into that a lot. I mean, we had just thinking back now, I'm almost smiling, like just the brainstorming sessions we had and the mood boarding that we did, just really kind of trying to, again, build this universe around it where we really could convey that message. And that's what makes me so excited to be building Behave, right? It's obviously the product itself. It's the category. I think it's a really exciting category to be disrupting. But I also just love that the message that we are trying to put out into the world every day is one of, that really is of positivity. And that really is this kind of, yeah, like tongue in cheek, you know, screw the man, screw like having to be on a diet, just eat candy if you want to eat candy. And we we're hoping that we can give people a, a better option for candy if they're looking for one. That's really cool how you guys are doing that and building that brand personality. And, you know, you mentioned there are just so many parts of it that really go into that story. And I, I love that you shared that story because it really starts to add up when you start putting those elements together. So, you know, we've talked a lot about front facing disruption, your website, your social media, the community that you're building, all that is really front facing. And I know as we're coming to the end of this podcast over here, I, I want to ask you, Actually, are there any things that you guys are doing that you would consider disruptive on the customer facing? And what I mean by that is what people that aren't just looking at the product, like people that have actually purchased the product, is there anything that you're doing that you might consider disruptive on that side, like the post-purchase side, I guess? Oh, yeah, that's such a good question. I mean, we, we put a lot of thought into the unboxing experience. So that was something that was really important to me from day one. We are investing a little bit more in that experience. But I think it's so important, especially when someone has sort of come to your website, they've interacted with our brand directly with Behave. Um, they have given us their credit card information, right? Um, I think that, you know, it, it does sort of create this rapport that we want to make sure we kind of honor. It's very different, right, than buying off of Amazon or walking into a grocery store or a bodega and picking something up off the shelf. And so we did really spend a lot of time, again, Gander very, very much involved in creating that sort of unboxing experience where the copy on the box that goes to the consumer is very tongue-in-cheek. And then we have a card inside 
that is also sort of around sharing. So, you know, you can take a picture of this card and text it to a friend to give them a discount on Behave. And again, like sort of really fun copy around that. And then we actually ship our product in cases. So on our website, you would order six bags, they come in a case. And the cases actually have this like tear back top, which allows them to sort of act as like a display case almost. And and those are also the display cases that would sit in retail on a shelf, but they're really great um, to ship to customers because we see so many customers that put that in their pantry or they put it on their countertop and you kind of have this like beautiful display case that can sort of live in your home and live in your kitchen. It is really this sort of piece of design that we we really spent a lot of time thinking about as well. So we're definitely very focused on that unboxing at home sort of physical experience that people can touch and feel. And I would say, you know, in terms of post-purchase digital engagement, we're still kind of building out that funnel. You know, we definitely are engaging with our customers via email after they've purchased But, you know, we're definitely looking into some other channels that we want to expand into. You know, SMS is super interesting. I know that that's really sort of where a lot of brands are moving to from a a customer engagement perspective. I've been a little bit slow, I will admit, on the SMS train just because I definitely can roll my eyes at a lot of the brand SMS messages that I get. So I just want to make sure that when we are doing it, we're doing it in a way that's really meaningful and thoughtful and is actually adding value to our customer, not just you know, inundating. Everyone is just inundated with so many brand messages on a daily basis. We don't want to just become one more kind of junk message in your inbox, or it's almost worse if it's in your text messages, because then you're really kind of annoying that person. We really want to find a way to do it in a way that feels additive to people's lives. And that makes them excited to be part of the Behave community, right? Not like an annoyance. So yeah, definitely still kind of thinking through, I think, some of those post-purchase communications and channels. But I think that there's a lot of opportunity there. That's awesome. And I love how focused you guys are on the unboxing thing. I think that's part of creating the disruption too, is you know, just completing that full customer journey from what they see at the beginning to the purchase. And so as we're coming to the end of this podcast over here, I want to ask, I got two questions for you that are left. We'll go with the first one. And that is, if you could just give off like rapid fire in 30 seconds, kind of a few things that you would suggest to people out there that are looking to create like a disruptive brand. If you had to give a rapid fire, like 30 second pitch for it, let me know what you got. Yeah. Okay. So I think, and I've touched on some of these, but I think one is look at what's out there and think about how you can be different, right? I think there have been so many articles now, you know, there was just that Bloomberg article around blending and how, you know, a lot of the direct to consumer brands have all started to blend together. And at one point it was the millennial pink. And at one point it was sort of like the red antler kind of Casper Warby Parker aesthetic. Just look at what's out there in your category. And I think there's a big piece to be said to just say, how do I do something different? I mean, if it feels very authentic to you, though, to, to kind of follow the path of other brands, I think that that's fine as well. There's nothing wrong with that. But if, I think if you really are thinking about disruption, then you should almost kind of try to do the opposite in a way. And I think part of that, too, and part of that exercise and something that we definitely did is look at the brands that are disrupting their categories and try to be more like them. You know, for us, some of the brands that I I really admire and look towards were Starface. Starface is this sort of like a skincare brand and they do these like pimple patches, but they are sort of all about like owning your pimple and they're actually these yellow stars. So you're almost like calling attention to it. 
And I love that, you know, very in line with our messaging as well, sort of more like pro, you know, acne positivity versus acne shaming. I love what they're doing. Parade is another brand that we looked at a lot. There's a handful I could definitely name more, but find those brands that you're like, oh, that brand is disrupting their space. And I want to think about what are they bringing to the table that makes them disruptive and, and how can I emulate that in my own work? And then, you know, the other thing that I always say, and I say this to people all the time is like, just say something. I think that we're kind of like in this moment now where people can be really sensitive and want to be more conservative and not want to say the wrong thing and feel like if I say the wrong thing, it could get our brand into trouble or we could lose customers. When I say, say something, what I mean is just figure out what your brand stands for and put a stake in the ground around that. You're never going to appeal to everyone. So you're better off saying something that might resonate with someone than basically saying nothing and then having no emotional connection to anybody. Yeah, for sure. That makes a lot of sense. And I can see how, you know, you're able to probably build a little bit of a stronger connection there as well when you're kind of going deep and pushing yourself on one side. So the last thing I kind of want to leave with over here is what's next for Behave. We've talked about a lot of great stuff that you guys have done before you launched and even after you've launched in terms of all the community building that you're doing and all of that great stuff. So what comes next? And then if you want to share where people can reach you and connect with your brand, maybe even connect with you, let's talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. So we're constantly working on the product. We're constantly in the sort of in the kitchen, iterating on the product, looking at new ingredients, looking at new flavors. So definitely keep your eyes out for new flavors, new products. We're working kind of as quickly as we can to bring some new stuff into the market. We're also working on a vegan product. So our current gummies are, they do have gelatin. We use a sort of a kosher gelatin, you know, best in the market, but we're not plant-based. So we are also working on a plant-based gummy and that will hopefully hit the market. I don't want to say soon because, you know, there is quite a bit of R&D that goes into that, but it's on our pipeline. Yeah. I mean, other than that, I think just really, yeah, like we discussed, building our community, building our brand, growing the awareness around our brand and what we're doing. We're starting to build a little bit of a retail presence as well. We've, we've kind of kicked off with a few very limited curated partnerships here around New York, but I'm excited to, to start showing up in more kind of stores and, and places around New York and, and hopefully beyond as well and, and start showing up on the shelf in addition to the direct to the consumer channel. So yeah, that's kind of where our heads are at and what we're thinking about for the next, you know, six to 12 months. Yeah. And then in terms of where to find us, so we're at, we're eat, behave, E-A-T-B-E-H-A-V-E.com. We're at eatbehave on Instagram. And if you want to reach out to us, you can email us at hi at eatbehave.com. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Mesa, for hopping on the podcast to talk about your brand and sharing what kind of goes into building that brand that's a disruptor. I'm sure there's a lot of key takeaways over here for our audience, and they're going to find a lot of great stuff. So thanks again so much for spending some time to talk with us. And I want to thank everyone out there that's listening. Thanks again for listening to the DTC pod. If you enjoyed this episode, if you enjoyed listening to Mesa talk to us about her product, feel free to subscribe, leave us a rating, and we will see you next time on the DTC pod.